Welcome to the Bishop and Vickers. I'm Bishop Tom Daly, the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Spokane, the Catholic Church in Eastern Washington. And joining me in our radio program is Father Pat Kirst, who is the pastor of St. Thomas More and St. Patrick's Parish. He's the vicar of priests. Father Brian Mee, the pastor of St. Augustine's and the vicar for finance. And Father Darren Connell, rector of Our Lady of Lords Cathedral, the Mother Church, and... Newly renovated Mother Church. Thank you. And the... Vicar General. Before we begin our program, uh, I'd like to thank Mrs. Jane Cronin, who wrote from Eureka, Montana. Um, she asked some questions about the Vickers, and this was a simple question, uh, what their favorite vocalist was and music group. And I'm very happy to announce that Father uh, Me, who is the oldest of the, the priests in this gathering here, By no far. surprise, said that his favorite musical group, the Beatles. I'd have thought okay. 1D. Really? No, no, not. And his favorite vocalist, Kate Smith. Huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. God bless America. Isn't that, didn't you see yeah, that? Oh, no, okay. I do, yes. Now, Father Kirst, favorite vocalist, Olivia Newton-John. Oh. Very good. Lovely, from Greece. Yes. yes. And favorite group, Air Supply. <laughs> I'm all out of love. I'm, I'm so lost without you. <laughs> now, Father Connell. Interesting. It was a tie. He said his two favorite groups, Wham and Spice Girls. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> but his Scary favorite spice. vocalist, Mel Torme, the Velvet Frog. Oh, I didn't know who Mel Torme is. <laughs> who is Pink, she? Pink Martini? He, he. Is that oh, a group? Okay, well, anyway, thank you, Mrs. Jane Cronin from Eureka, Montana, for that question. And again, if you have any questions... Block her number. Uh, <laughs> please call. Today, on a serious <laughs> note, we're going to speak about uh, Advent, the season of Advent, uh, the season that we uh, are in the midst of and a time of preparation, a time of longing, a time of silence, and very much um, in keeping with the weather here in eastern Washington. It's, the nights are longer, uh, it's colder, and um, just some of, uh, as we begin this discussion, Father Me, your experience as a theologian with the season of Advent. My experience mm -hmm. with Advent? Or you want some history on that? History, well, uh, whatever you'd like to pontificate about. All right. Well, I'll begin pontificating, of course, Christmas, which I suppose we'll do in a future show. Uh, it doesn't come in until the fourth century. So, of course, Advent mm. doesn't really develop as a season until after that. And seeing how Easter was already around and Lent was as well, um, Advent uh, it grows out of the Christmas celebration needing a period of time before it, just as Easter has a period of time before Lent. Now, you may say, I know that Father Curse will wonder, well, what about those 40 days? I was thinking that. <clears throat> I knew you would be. And there's usually not 40 days, never 40 days in Advent. So, but if you were, now put on your little math hats here, go from the beginning or around the beginning of Advent until the Feast of what would you come up with 40 days? Well, probably the Epiphany. Oh, very good. Very well done. Mm -hmm. Yes. But in any case, Adventus, it's um, of course a word meaning coming. What it's referring to, remember, Christmas begins in Rome. It's a Roman holiday. Adventus, as far as a civil event was Adventus referred to when there was a victorious general, or better yet, of Caesars coming to your town. He'd be entering in your village, your town would be preparing for his coming, putting flowers out on the roads, uh, you know, decorating. Making pasta. Making, they didn't have pasta yet. That was still down in... In, in the 17th century. Uh, yes. In yeah. France. Well, actually, it was... Uh, it doesn't matter. Yes. Pranzo's pranzo. Pranzo, pranzone. But anyway, so they would be preparing, but it would be something joyful. 
You know, so unlike or not completely unlike Lent, Easter has much more of a joyful tone to it. For that reason, I would say entering into, uh, I would steal one of the lines of Chesterton, which he stole from Dante, who uses it in the Inferno. You'll recall in the Inferno, Dante has Virgil saying, uh, abandon all hope ye who enter here. Chesterton would say, abandon all hopelessness, ye who enter here. Entering the season of, of Advent, why, uh, there's no reason for hopelessness. It's a season that is of joyful expectation. Now, there is a penitential element to it, but the overriding theme is one of great joy and expectation. Hmm. Father Kirst, your experience uh, as both as uh, growing up in uh, St. Mary's Parish and as a priest with the season of Advent, um, what have you found uh, in, in your vast experience as a, as a parish priest and a pastor to be some of the more memorable uh, moments uh, in preparing your people or walking with your people in the season of Advent? I find Advent to be kind of a difficult season to celebrate in, in parishes uh, because all of our lives gets so filled with other distractions during the time of Advent. And whereas it's, it's very difficult as people are trying to schedule in their parties and get shopping done for Christmas and it's uh, just post-Thanksgiving and coming out of our turkey coma, that uh, whereas it's difficult, I think it's also a very powerful and welcome season uh, as that time to, to step out of the fray and, and spend that time in letting the liturgy of, of Advent connect with our deepest longings as people as we once again are reminded to what's the Advent slogan on the coffee cups, let go and let God, that mm -hmm. we give up these illusions no, that we can somehow... Come, come Emmanuel. Yeah, with that too. That's my coffee cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give up these illusions of being able to, to save ourselves, to rescue ourselves, and, and once again remember that it's God in that place. And, and another thing difficult liturgically, I think, is the words we attach to, to Advent um, that come to us from the gospel, to, to wait, to watch, they carry a level of passivity to them. And yet we're to be anything but passive as a people of Advent faith. It's a very active sort of waiting and watching and, and uh, preparing ourselves for the various ways the Lord comes to us, has come to us, comes to us now, and of course that longing for his coming again in glory that, you know, quite frankly, it's... Sometimes I don't really want that to happen all that soon because I've got some plans. I got some things I need to get done, and, and you know, if the Lord would come, that would kind of mess up all those plans. And it's well, that's another show we'll do on eschatology. But uh, <laughs> for a listening audience, the four weeks of the season of Advent, it's really uh, there are two parts to it. The first runs from the first Sunday, which we'll be celebrating, uh, and goes until December sixteenth. The second part from the seventeenth of December through the twenty fourth. And uh, for those who are, perhaps we would encourage reading scripture, maybe those prayer books that uh, are given in our parishes to help uh, deepen that longing to allow our people to reflect, because it is something that is easier to do uh, on one level because of the weather. People are staying more inside because it's cold as opposed to the spring. But because, as Father Chris mentioned, that hectic pace leading up to Christmas, it's all the more reason why time should be set aside. So the four ways that uh, Jesus comes into the world, which is part of our reflection, is his birth as a helpless infant, 
then his arrival in the hearts of believers, his death and his arrival on Judgment Day. So we'll see these themes in the scriptures of the four weeks. Now, Father Connell, you're perhaps in, as the rector of Our Lady of Lord Cathedral. Uh, the Mother Church. The Mother Church. Bring a perspective of the role of Mary in Advent. You might want to speak about that well, to our, our audience. If you, uh, uh, I would I would like to talk about Mary. Um, let me just uh, begin by saying that, that uh, I want to talk about Mary by first talking about um, Easter and and because there's a connection I think between Easter and Advent which is um, the exalted Easter where we we pray on the Easter vigil oh happy fault oh necessary sin of Adam that gained for us such a redeemer that there's this great sense of joy about Advent because uh, of ironically or paradoxically the the sin of Adam that that won for us this redeemer that we spend our time now hoping and waiting for a redeemer that we would not have had had Mary not uh, uh, offered her fiat, her, her yes uh, to the Lord, her willingness to uh, bring the Savior of the world uh, to us. Um, and it is for that reason that we have always considered Mary kind of the model disciple. Uh, we see that uh, in the liturgy throughout uh, Advent as well in terms of her willingness to to trust, to say yes, and to accept God's will for her life. Oh, Father me, you were. I noticed you just looked. He was poised. There, no, no, poised no, I think, I think uh, we need a break here. Oh, one but minute. Then, then I well, do then have hey, something. Hey, I do well, have something to say about Mary. I'd like to add to this whole. In the thirty seconds that we. No, have no. Break. When we come back from break, I'm just afraid I wouldn't be able to do it in any less than. Mm -hmm. Oh, two and a half minutes. Well, let me let me wrap up, let me wrap up my section by saying that my, my point is this, that, that Mary's greatness really flows not so much from her motherhood, but from her discipleship. Um, and that's important for us because we, we too then can imitate her greatness by listening to God's will and to following it with joy. We don't, we can't be the mother of God, the father of God, as Mary was. Uh, but again, her greatness flows from her discipleship uh, and not mm -hmm. from her motherhood. We know that from scripture. We know that from uh, saints like, like St. Augustine. No, right. no, St. No. No, St. Ambrose. St. <laughs> Procopius. St. No, as a matter of fact, we'll get into Ambrose. When we Mary okay. said, or, or St. Augustine said this quickly, Holy Mary clearly carried out the will of the father. And therefore it is a greater thing for her to be a disciple of Christ than to be his mother. She is more blessed in being a disciple of Christ than being the mother of Christ, no matter what Father Me says. <laughs> when, we, when we come back from our break, we will offer Wait, more I'm the pastor of St. Augustine's. You are. You were. Shame. All right. We take a break now. Thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bishop and the Vickers, and we're talking about Advent, the season of Advent in our church, and the opportunities for us together as a pilgrim people to grow in holiness. And Father Mead, before the break, was about to offer uh, one of his many insights to help illuminate the spirituality of Father Connell. So Father Me, <laughs> would you please uh, address that? Good luck. Good luck with that. No. Um, there's two points I'd like to bring out, and it follows along what Father Connell was saying, certainly discipleship, but I think there is an element of motherhood in the spirituality that each of us shares as well. Uh, coming from St. Ambrose, St. Ambrose made it clear that uh, he referred to the soul as Mary, and that in our soul, as Mary bore the Christ child in her womb, we are to bear Christ in our soul. And as she nurtured him in our womb, we nurture Christ in us through prayer and through our deeds. So the, there is uh, a maternal element to the spirituality 
of Advent, and certainly, uh, you know, with that focused on the Blessed Mother. But another thing, and I think it's, I can't remember the opening prayer for the Mass on the 23rd or 24th of December, but one of those last days, as you said, Bishop, uh, that are very Marian uh, in focus, it refers to um, Mary bringing forth uh, the splendor of the glory of God. And that sounds very nice, very poetic, but what it's also referring back to is an event in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 10, I believe, where because of the desecration of the temple and uh, the behavior of, of the uh, Israelites, the uh, the Spirit of God leaves, the, the splendor of the glory of God leaves the temple. So there's a rift, there's a break there because of sin. But in that prayer, it's uh, it's saying, well, with Christ's birth, there's a recon- God is making a reconciliation with us, with humanity. And that's apparent in that prayer where it says the splendor of the glory of God uh, has entered into the Blessed Mother. And the splendor of the glory of God, she becomes the temple. Uh, So there's a part of ecclesiology there too. We all become the temple uh, bearing Christ. So there's some beautiful elements of the Advent spirituality that are very Marian in her maternal uh, aspect, but also Mary presents an ecclesial aspect of our spirituality too in Advent. I think another element of, of, of the spirituality, spirituality of Advent for me uh, personally, uh, this Advent is, uh, and it's par- partly coming from the fact that I'm uh, halfway through a book by Cardinal Sarah, who is the, I think the prefect for the Congregation for Divine Worship, I believe. And he wrote, he is, he wrote a book, uh, The Power of of silence uh, against the dictatorship of noise, and it's an entire book about the value of of silence and uh, the ability then in in the quiet of our hearts uh, to hear God's word and, and to ponder His um, workings in our own life. And I feel particularly convicted myself because I, uh, as I read that book, uh, realize that I have a lot of noise in my life, and some of it's not able to be controlled, but a lot of it is. I oftentimes have background noise in my office or at home or whatever with the television on, not listening to it or the radio, but just to have that uh, that background noise, which is really opposite of someone like uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who uh, uh, scriptures tell us this time of year, as she's taking in all these events around the incarnation, uh, we read that she pondered or she treasured all of these things in her heart. Uh, and that's just a beautiful image for me and, and something that I would like to obtain, but I, I can't do that. I don't think any of us can do it without uh, intentionally creating some some silence uh, in our lives at this time, and particularly because it's so darn busy right now and so loud. And so any opportunity that we can to carve out some quiet, I think, is a, 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 an opportunity for, for some grace. It might be good if you remove that. Is it uh, Alexis? That uh, It's Alexa. You leave Alexa. her alone. Yeah, I think that's... She and Siri are my friends. Yeah. <laughs> and you're only friends. Uh, <laughs> Father, uh, curse was about to add something. Well, I was going to say you mentioned God's Word and Scriptures, and we made reference to that in our reflections on Mary and Advent and so forth. And one thing that I think is really powerful during this season of Advent is how God's Word carries us through that season to shape our prayer, to shape our our spirituality. Uh, yesterday, I, I was watching again the movie The Book of Eli, which if you're familiar with that, you know the book that uh, Eli is carrying is the Bible. But there are two different people 
who were wanting that book. And but both of them saw that as the source of hope. One guy didn't really know what the book was. If you heard this book was out there that was going to be the source of hope in this post-apocalyptic world that had no zombies in it. So it was a little bit faulty in that regard. But anyway, this it just speaks speaks about the power of God's word and how truly in that word there is hope. And we see the the scriptures that are given to us for liturgies during Advent, how they speak so much about God's dream for the world and, and God's hope for us and our hope uh, that flows from what God has promised to us. And so I think those those scriptures that are given to us are very powerful as some of the figures that come forth through the scriptures in the season, along with Mary, uh, the prophets, Isaiah and other prophets. And of course, John the Baptist jumps onto the scene and, and all these people that all point us to that hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his coming among us. I think the issue of the hope is so important for all of us uh, as Catholic Christians, but also as certainly as uh, shepherds of God's people. And oftentimes when I'm given an opportunity to speak about the difference between hope and optimism, as you've often heard me say that hope is reality grounded in faith, optimism is wishful thinking. It's the expectation uh, that things will get better, whatever the circumstances. But hope, which is so characteristic of the season of Advent, is the trust that God will fulfill the promises he has made to us in his way and in his time. And thus it is reality grounded in faith. There are many challenges we face. We see great divisions in our world, our church, our nation, our communities, even families. And we are called in this uh, time of Advent, these these four weeks, as someone said, we're, we're on this, this pilgrimage, but are we going to be pilgrims or are we going to be tourists? Now, I know that, Father Connell, your idea of a vacation is uh, just kind of plant yourself somewhere and uh, maybe just uh, whatever you do. Read a good book. Read a good book. And... Um, no, but, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to be serious for once yes, here. Yes, okay, uh, good. Because I, when you were talking about hope, Bishop, as being reality grounded in faith, one of the things that I always comes to my mind this time of the year are all those people and families who for uh, for them, the holiday season, Advent and Christmas, is a time really of, of great pain because mm -hmm. of the loss or, or the brokenness in their families, um, the loss that they've experienced through death, and it just it kind of picks that scab open again for mm -hmm. them. And I think it's really important that, that we as the church and uh, can hold out for them that hope that is grounded in faith, that this awful thing that's happened to them in their lives um, won't have the last word, that God ultimately will triumph. And I think that was the uh, the one of the uh, community antiphons for the last week is that those words that we hear from Matthew's gospel, know that I'm with you to the end of the age, which is really the ultimate promise of hope. And it is our task to keep hope alive in the world when so often that, that is robbed. In our parishes, you'll begin to see Advent wreaths. And uh, maybe Before we, could, we get off hope, could I say something about hope? Sure. Is it something you made up or is it something that is in keeping with the definition I've promulgated in the both, diocese. Both, okay. both. Um, in the older catechism, before the present catechism, some old catechism, it said the, the sins against hope were presumption and despair. You know, so going back to your thing about optimism and pessimism, but hope is always, uh, you know, it's very focused on uh, Christ, and therefore there shouldn't be, we shouldn't presume anything, nor should we despair, but hope leads to joy. So that goes back into this Advent season. Um, sometimes hope is perhaps the most overlooked 
of the three virtues. You know, we think of faith, we think of charity, hope is out there, but we don't think of it much. But certainly the Advent season is that season of hope where we could be focusing on that, where we don't presume, we'd never despair, uh, but rather we take great joy in Christ who is coming. Especially in those families that Father Connell has mentioned who, for whatever reason, are experiencing difficulty or sadness. Uh, it may be the, again, loss of loved one. It may be the financial expectation that I have to provide a lot of gifts for, for my family. It may be the simple reality of um, a marriage that has come apart. And I think as the church... Uh, through the works of charity, but above all, our, our lives of prayer and service. It is this Christian hope that calls us and spurs us on to action. When we come back, we'll continue this theme on the season of Advent and the role that it plays in the lives of the Catholic faithful, the Christians everywhere, but especially here in our diocese. Welcome back. It's Bishop and the Vickers, and we're talking about Advent and the season of Advent. And before we broke, we were continuing the theme of hope, which is a strong characteristic of this season and how desperately it is needed and the difference between hope and optimism. And Father Me was giving us some historical understanding based upon the earlier catechism. I hope not the Dutch catechism, but uh, <laughs> one of the earlier catechisms. But maybe you want to, we need to speak about John the Baptist. His role is significant. And um, in the first Sunday of Advent, it focuses on the coming of Jesus at the end of time. But the second and third Sundays are on John the Baptist. And the fourth are the events that prepared immediately for the Lord's birth. So maybe, again, as we enter into this season, something about John the Baptist. We know to be Jesus' cousin, but for our listening audience and for all of us, uh, some comments, uh, insights that would be helpful to our community. Well, he liked grasshoppers and honey. Who doesn't? And camel hair. Mm -hmm. No, but I think oftentimes when, as you mentioned, Bishop, uh, John the Baptist uh, is featured in the second and third Sunday of Advent. And oftentimes, I, I, many of us, I would guess, would think we think of John the Baptist as rather this uh, formidable character in the desert, kind of this Old Testament prophet, prophet, never too happy. But actually, he really is that prophet of uh, joy. And as far as the very first prophecy he gives is when the Blessed Mother goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, and she's bounding into the hillside of the country. And she's bearing Jesus already. And uh, the greeting, no sooner is a greeting given than we hear John the Baptist leaps for joy uh, in the womb of his mother. So is his very first statement as a prophet is that of joy. And uh, of course, that's to remind us or lead us all to the fact that everything he says, even though uh, there may be things in it that are difficult, the underlying uh, theme in it all is he bears us, he's bringing us a great, uh, he's announcing a great joy to us. So John the Baptist does become a very important Advent uh prophet. Plus he also, he, he instructs us on what we need to do to, to find that joy. Our joy is in Christ. Uh, St. Augustine, he had been mentioned earlier, said that St. Augustine is closer, or St. Augustine said that Jesus is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And St. 
Uh, John the Baptist tells us, well, we must decrease so that Christ must increase, and the more Christ does increase in us, and again, um, that our souls bear Christ are filled with Christ, uh, the greater our joy will be as well. Would you consider yourself a voice crying in the wilderness in this diocese? On this radio show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've often thought that. Father Kirst, any thoughts that you might have in light of the John the Baptist and its role in his Well, role Father Mee stole sure. my favorite line from him, he must increase while I must decrease, which I think is kind of a rallying cry for all of us as followers of Christ and, and certainly a part of our Advent spirituality. And John the Baptist is intriguing in that he's one of those few saints who actually went to his own death before the death and resurrection of Christ, and yet we also we hold him up as a, a saint. How he participates in that in that victory won by Christ, even though he died before that victory came to pass. Also, of course, in the same time, he's a prophet of joy. He uh, probably would be a, a psychologist's dream for a little analysis because he could turn right around and look at people and say, "You brood of vipers," and, and call. I've us, often you know, thought the same at the beginning of this radio. Exactly. Show. So you know, repent, <laughs> repent. So that's a, another call we hear during Advent, which again is not primarily a penitential season, yet that's part of the way of letting the Lord prepare us for his coming into the world, into our lives, is is through our commitment to turning around, turning away from the sin in our life, and then walking the way of Christ more faithfully. Hmm. I think that um, uh, one of the things about John the Baptist from uh, at least St. Luke's gospel is uh, that he helps us during the season of like Advent to keep our priorities straight. Because in the first couple of, of chapters of St. Luke's Gospel, we have a description of the birth of the conception of, of John and the conception of Jesus, um, their birth, the responses of their families. And time and again, uh, John is shown to be a great person, um, but Jesus is always shown to be superior. So John's, John's uh, conception was... Uh, certainly miraculous. Elizabeth was uh, an old woman, but Jesus's conception was even more miraculous, if you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Mary responded to something very confusing with faith and was re rewarded. John uh, uh, Zechariah responded with doubt and, and was punished by and not being able to speak. So over and over again, between the two of those uh, figures, John, yes, is is to be emulated and, and respected and listened to, but it is Christ who should be the priority, which I think is obviously important for us today as we go through a season that's very distracting uh, to help us to stay focused on what really matters. And that, that corny phrase, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, um, has some biblical truth to it that we get from uh, from uh, John uh, the Baptist. I think it's also helpful too as, as Catholics uh, to remember that again our focus is on on Jesus Christ. We have people who sometimes who have, who, have, who are groupies like all those people who went from St. Peter's to St. Augustine following Father <laughs> Me um, really were wrong uh, because their focus should be on Christ and not John the Baptist and not Father Me. And those letters of complaint come across my desk each day but that will be for a segment and I write the, them very carefully. The, the bishop talking about the vicars. <laughs> we are um, about to really wrap up this this first of our episodes on the season of Advent, but it might be something as we conclude this time for our listening audience, just briefly, uh, any of the vicars here, um, maybe a more memorable time of Advent. And we're going to address that when we come back on our second episode. Thank you and God bless.